You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another podcast episode, the 7th of January 2024, so Happy New Year to people. Um, I feel like I've done Happy New Year's all, all the case now, I mean I already did it in my Q&A and various other videos, so I think we're past the point that it's a new year. And, and I don't know, it's, it's finally sunny, although the UK has basically been showered under like gale force winds and torrential storms recently so basically everywhere is complaining about flood issues there is some advantages of living on top of a hill so i don't get flood issue problems up here i just uh get very wet but yeah you know hopefully the flood hasn't caused too many problems for some of you lot in the uk i know it's uh caused you know insane issues for some people in floodplains and you know certainly up north particularly scotland way so if you have been caught short by the floods then hopefully you're able to get things rectified soon uh, but yeah, so we're back in business. Uh, but I keep saying we. Why do I keep saying we with this? Because it's just me. <laughs> There's no other person. And uh, maybe it, I don't know. Maybe Fizzkig deserves a mention. You know, Fizzkig can be my uh, second <laughs> second in command. But with this, yep, yeah, the blog is back in session. So we've already had the Q and A uh, to say, you know, this is what kind of is going to happen with the channel. Although I'll reiterate some stuff here and just to have a chat with you. I'm going to try and make the Q&As a bit more regular this year because they were so random and ad hoc. I'm going to see if I can try and do one a month, like one quick Q&A a month, maybe an hour long. So not that long, but do a once a month Q&A, you know, and chat, you know, sofa chat, basically. So that should be good. You know, it has been requested that more of them would be done. So I'll try and accommodate on that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we've already had the Q&A. We've had the Ark Nova Marines World uh, review so that finally has been done <laughs> sorry that took so long but yeah that's doing a lot better than I thought three and three and a bit thousand views already and it came out in on the third so only four days ago that's pretty good for a beyond the base game video because normally those videos don't do too well because most people aren't that interested in expansions well it's Ark Nova so I guess a lot of people were and there's been some good comments and feedback from that I mean you know two people disliking it out of 220 people I'll take that as a uh, percentage rate and sorry, you two people who hate my channel and everything I do, but uh, you're somewhat outnumbered there. But yeah, and also on top of that, we've had the review for If Robots Had Wings. Well, If Robots Had Wings is the title of the review, but it's Raising Robots. So this is... Then we're going to get onto this topic a bit later about things being close to wingspan. But uh, this is semi-wingspan-like. You know, it is different in its own right, and I don't think there's enough similarities to it. But this is an engine builder game, uh, you know, deluxe package. I uh, got a nice review copy from Norvu Games. Um, I've given my review on it. Not doing as well. It's only one and a half thousand views so far, which is quite low. But, you know, hopefully that will build up over time. I did only release it yesterday, so uh, I guess give it time. But... Yeah, suffice to say, that's a pretty lengthy review. There's a lot to discuss, so by all means, check that out. Uh, 22,092, sorry, 22,089 subscribers. I mean, I was trying to get it to 22,000 when the new year happened, and I didn't quite make it. And then I released the Art Nova review, and then suddenly I'm up to 22,090. So uh, I guess I should have released that in advance, and maybe that would have been a bit better. But thanks to everybody who is supporting the channel, and even the new Patreons who have, uh, you know, I've had a couple of new Patreons uh, on the channel for yearly annual subscriptions. So 
thank you very much. It does help a lot, you know, for keeping this channel running. I mean, I've just been charged, you know, out of the blue fees for, you know, annual fees for stuff like Motion Array and, you know, other puts and bobs. You know, Adobe is putting their prices up as well for the subscription to Premiere Pro. And I've still got to subscribe to various other bits and bobs. It's... It's expensive, but, you know, the channel keeps going because the Patreons, you know, help keep it running. So thank you very much. Um, in terms of future content, well, I mentioned before on the Q&A that I'm going to try and keep content the same. So what I mean by that is I'm essentially, you know, every time I come up with a new idea and think, oh, this will be a good fun bit of content. It's fine, but then I realize I don't have the time. I am a one-man band. I can't do loads of different content ideas. So I have to basically come up with different, you know, I have to come up with a set plan and stick to it. And I'm going to try and do that this year. So the stuff that I know works will continue. And I'll just leave it at that. So I'm done with Kickstarter previews. That's, you know, well... No, saying that I'm done with Kickstarter monthly checks. That's what I'm on about. There are a couple of games coming out later this year, uh, a New World Order and Galactic Cruise, that I might be doing some Kickstarter preview videos for. But I am really cherry-picking myself which Kickstarters I'm interested in. And these are the ones that I have played or have faith that they'll be good. And even then, I'm still going to give my honest opinions after playing them. So, you know, this is not like a typical Kickstarter preview where it's like, here's the game, hype, 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 buy it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not doing that nonsense. So, you know, that's the thing. But we're talking the shelf-by-shelf -shelf reviews. I know there's been a bit of a gap with those. You know, Essen reviews took up so much time. You just have to accept that this channel is very seasonal, that in the autumn and when in the autumn it's going to be very review heavy. And now in this quarter one, it's going to be mostly top 10 heavy. You know, so stuff like that. But uh, yeah, shelf by shelf will continue. I'll get onto that at some point soon. Uh, the best of the month, or best and worst of the last month, they'll continue. They're very popular videos. Beyond the base game will still continue because expansions are just ad hoc. They come out every now and again and they're good videos to do because most other channels don't do them. So I feel like I'm doing a bit of a service there. And of course, we'll have top tens and a normal review. So, you know, that's kind of the content that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And the podcast, obviously, because I am doing this. But that's it. You know, no more weird, funky ideas, you know, and certainly on the top 10 front, we're going to do solos, we're going to do collaborations, they're back, so I need to get some ideas on who to collaborate with, but uh, yeah, you know, that'll be good to do some more of those in the future. Uh, in terms of future review plans, well, not much is on the agenda for reviews because this is the time when review when board games just die in terms of reviews. So it's catch up with stuff from Essen, which most of which I've done, or a couple of recent ones. But there is stuff on the agenda. So I've already done Raising Robots. Age of Rome is sitting on the table over there. Haven't played it yet, but that is uh, something I'm going to start playing towards January. So it'll be a while before I can review that, but we'll see how that goes. That's from Teetotum Studios. Uh, I have uh, World Wonders, which it wasn't a review copy. So I don't know if I'm desperate to review it, but maybe I'll do a pod. I'm going to talk about it briefly on this podcast, but maybe I'll do a quick review for it in the future, but I'm not desperate to. Um, but I'll try and fit it in. Uh, Septima, I haven't even played yet, so that's not really going to happen. Uh, but I do have Imperium Horizons here. So this is the sequel to 
Imperium, which came out for a few years ago. And this is you know review copy from Osprey Games. So this is basically the new big deluxe box set of it. And though I say deluxe, it just means it's bigger. But basically it's a standalone expansion. So it's 14 new civilizations, a new expanded rule set that you can use for trade uh, cards. And mainly it's the same thing, but they've redone some of the tokens. They've redone the rule book and condensed it into one big rule book. And there's an insert in here, although not the best insert. And, you know, there's like tweaks in that. So that is getting a full review and it's releasing in February. So the, the game, I'll try to get the review at some point done this January. So, you know, I don't think there's an embargo on it. I'll have to double check, but. You know, hopefully I'll be able to do that review soon because I've already been giving it the beans yesterday. And predominantly I am reviewing it from a solo perspective here. I mean, you know, solo and two player only. I'm not really interested in playing it three and four player because honestly, nothing's changed to make the game any shorter for three to four players. So it was too long before. It's going to be too long now. But yeah, I'm doing it from a personal perspective. But yeah, that's on the horizon. No pun intended. Uh, and we'll we'll get on with that soon. I think that's it from a review perspective. I don't think... Oh, yeah, and I do have a couple of Dr. Finn games I need to play at some point, but they are, at the moment, low priority because of Imperium Horizons, uh, but I certainly... And Age of Rome, but I will get to them eventually. Uh, Fisheries of Gloucester and Alpajaris, I think it's called. Uh, the two sort of Dr. Finn games I've barely heard of, but, uh, you know, he was very kind enough to send me a couple, so I'll certainly give him a look when I can. Right, uh, on with the show. Uh, I suppose very quickly just to mention health-wise, not too bad actually. My throat is mending. You know, I still can only talk for so long before I need a drink, so I do have my drinks nearby, but my throat no doesn't feel like scorched earth anymore. It's mending so that the pain is gone. It's just, it still dehydrates me quite quick and I need to keep myself hydrated, you know, to drink while talking. But yeah, compared to before, compared to early December, certainly compared to the rest of last year, it's a big improvement that this acid reflux diet is doing me, although I am slowly trying to think, right, well, what can I whittle back into the diet to see what exactly were the worst causes? You know, it could literally be that caffeine and sleeping on my back was the problem. Well, I've quit caffeine and I sleep on a wedge pillow now, so those two things are permanently sorted. I now drink plant milk instead of uh, lactose milk, so that's already a big change. But it would be nice to see if I could whittle back in some citrus fruit or some tomatoes, you know, because I do miss curries. I ordered out for a biryani last night because I couldn't be bothered to cook. I didn't know what else to cook. And I thought, it's a biryani. It's got a banana and omelette in it, so that's good for your stomach. It's curry spices, yes, but it's not hot, and there's no tomato in it. So come on, can I have a biryani, please? And I did buy it, went it, grabbed it, eat it, had no problems. And man, was I so nice to have a curry. <laughs> Any, well, it's not a full curry, but I'll take a biryani. I'll take anything remotely curried, okay? I was getting withdrawal symptoms and not having any curries. <laughs> so I really do like curries, and having to quit those for ages was really painful. But yeah, so far, so good. So just keep the drink up. I'll keep the diet up for a bit, and we'll see what develops. You know, if I can figure out what my worst catalysts are, then we'll see. I mean, maybe I should find one of those weird health checks that tells if you've got allergies or intolerances to various foods. That might be useful. Right. Okie dokie. Alright, let's get on with the show. So, I'm going to talk uh, briefly about a couple of games first. So, let's first, let's first talk about World Wonders. Because I've only played this solo. Played a couple of games solo uh, last night. And this is a very simple game. Arcane Wonders, uh, they, had very, they pretty much had no copies for reviewers and stuff. So, I wasn't able to get a review copy of this. Hence, you didn't hear about it in last year. But... This is a very simple game. It's a polyomino Tetris game, and you're essentially 
uh, buying the various pieces each round with a set number of gold limit that you have. You always have up to seven gold, nine if you take a loan. So you spend as much as you can, and as soon as you've spent everything, your round is over. But, you know, there are finite supplies of all the tokens, and so other players can take them before you, etc. But the idea is, is that you place them on your board map, and there are restrictions for how you can place things. They level up your production tracks, which literally is just a point scoring opportunity for lower scores you points. Other than that, they serve no formatic purpose. But the crux of the game is the fact that as you build around this map, you can build these cool monuments, provided you have the, the placement restrictions for them. So... You know, Alexandria Tower needs to at least sit on part of the water, but then also needs to be next to a library, blue piece. Uh, you know, the Colosseum needs to be, say, you know, six squares all on land. The bridge, the aqueduct has to be partially on water, but then have to start and end on land, stuff like that. And they've all got some cool different placement things. And so if you build these, not only do they look cool on your board because you've got these wooden pieces for them, but they also score you more points. That's pretty much the crux of the game. And in the solo mode, all you do is play 10 rounds or until the end game is triggered. And you just play against a solo deck that occasionally knocks out the pieces, which to be fair, isn't really much different to how the multiplayer is going to feel, except obviously it's random from a solo deck. Whereas in the multiplayer, you might be able to kind of twig what somebody wants. But even then, that'd be quite tricky. But, you know, it's pretty much the same deal. And all the solo deck is, it's just literally taking the pieces away from you. And then at the end of the game, you see if you beat the AI and if you did, you win. That's pretty much it. Um, certainly, I wish it had an insert like this picture here, but sadly, the game doesn't have an insert, which makes packing the game away and setting up a bit of a chore because you've got to bag up all the different Tetris pieces in individual bags. Otherwise, it's a mess. And then it just takes forever to open up each bag, take the tiles out, open up another bag, take those tiles out, especially solo. It's a bit of a chore. But the game itself I found quite fun. And I do like the fact that your board looks better than just having a bunch of tiles over it because the artwork isn't exactly stellar. I mean, it's serviceable, but it's nothing major. And the restrictions for how you put roads on and how you, you know, how towers work and, you know, how the monuments work is cool. And it does make it a bit more thinky in terms of trying to get your board to look right and these pieces are cool i mean we saw something similar with tapestry when they did that stupid little mini game in there where you were building those building pieces and they look fantastic as well but it was such a weird sub bit of the game and it didn't make any thematic sense how things were working you know here at least it makes sense why some of the monument pieces are built like having two obelisks that spaced apart and having the alexandra on the water having aqueducts go over the water you know there is at least thematic reasons why they're built as they are but yeah, the production quality is pretty good for a game that I don't think is terribly expensive. I think this is a relatively cheap game for the pieces you're getting in the box. Just goes to show, wood is better. But I enjoyed this. But there is a controversial thing with this game that I've heard. And I didn't realise it was controversial until somebody mentioned it. But apparently, the scoring for the solo mode is under dispute. Because in the solo mode, you add up your free production tracks. And that represents the score for the AI. And... The thing with that is, I don't know, that I'm in two minds about it. Some people like it, some people hate it. I'm, I'm on the fence because it makes it quite challenging because it's quite hard to actually exceed the AI if you go and build a lot of pieces and get your production tracks up. I mean, the first game I played, I beat it by a point and I thought I was doing really well. But it's a kind of a weird way because it's almost telling you don't build um, building pieces because if you do, the AI gets more points which seems a little counterintuitive to how you should be playing the game. 
but it also means that well hang on a minute if i can literally just build a bunch of monuments around as few building pieces as i can and get the points from there as well as connect up the natural resource spaces which get you more points then why should i build building pieces why don't i just do that because then it means my production tracks won't go up very much and the ai will score next to nothing that just seems like a better way to do it, but I'd have to do some more experimentation with that. But yeah, it's some people like it, some people don't, and I'm I'm surprised by that. So I'm curious to know any of your thoughts as to whether you agree or disagree on that. But so far, the game has promise. It's a very simple game, very simple rules, although the amount of times I forgot the placement restrictions for roads, it was insane. In fact, saying that, I'm looking at this picture here, and I think this is an illegal placement. Because roads have to go next to the sidewalk at the bottom, so these are fine. Connect to another road, so these are fine. Or extract from a tower. So at the top here, there is a tower. That's fine. The tower is there, so the roads can come out of that tower. That doesn't have a road. Yeah, this, this isn't a road. So, sorry, this isn't a tower over here. So this road is disconnected from other roads and everything else. So I think this is actually illegal. And I wonder if somebody's actually picked out on this. Many error play. Oh, right, they've actually highlighted it's got errors. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some placement restrictions that have been uh, sort of messed up here. And that is one flaw of the game. They are conveniently told to you on a tile so that you can actually see where they are. But the amount of times I forgot what these placement restrictions are, they're so easy to forget. And if you're playing this multiplayer, you're going to have to keep an eye on everybody else to make sure they don't muck up. And I guarantee somebody is going to muck up in every game of World Wonders you play. It's just going to happen. So it's kind of weird. It's got that little fiddly thing you got to remember. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. And I'm keen to see on Monday, when I no doubt bring it out for some multiplayer sessions, uh, how it fares there. I should be able to get multiple games played on Monday, actually, because it's quite a short game. It only takes about an hour tops. So we'll see. Although I don't intend to play it with five players because that sounds moronic. I mean, it says best free here. Yeah, I'm thinking that three player is probably going to be the sweet spot. Knowing me, I'll probably get four. Hopefully I can deter people from wanting to play it with five. But we'll see. Because five players... Stop putting five players on your games, people. Seriously, just stop. Stop putting five on your game just to have five. You know, for crying out loud. There are games designed for five players. Your game, most likely, isn't one of them. Right. Okay. All right. Let's talk about another game which I wasn't as keen on. Sea Salt and Pepper. Oh, sorry. Sea Salt and Paper. Not Sea Salt and Pepper. Um, but basically, firstly, I do like the artwork in this. It's got this like paper origami style artwork for everything that's in it. Looks like something out of a kid's program. And it's really cool. I really like it. You know, it's a it's something different and it looks cute for what is essentially a card game. Rummy, a card game of rummy. Now, this one I like most of it you know people think i hate on this game no 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 i hate scout scout is a game i hate this one i like fine but i do have issues so mainly the case is is that you play up to 35 points you play multiple rounds until then and essentially you collect these cards and you end the round when somebody's got seven or more points and you can either end it immediately or gamble to see i've got the highest you can't beat me i'll get bonus points and you get restricted but the idea is, is that you draw these cards from either two discard piles or two at random from the main deck. And these cards basically will get you points if you can get sets of them, like pairs. But these pairs will give you a special ability, like draw a card from the deck, have another turn, that kind of thing. But there's also some set collection, like the mermaids that give you, that are bonkers powerful, but they give you uh, points for having lots of the same color in your hand. 
There's a stupid rule about getting four mermaids and winning. I have never seen anyone do that, and I don't think that's even physically possible without the craziest amount of luck. So that rule might as well not even be taught. But there's other things like, here you go, two points for a penguin, multiple points for seashells, multiple points for octopuses, point for every fish, point for every boat, that kind of thing. And so you're just basically collecting these cards, trying to make as many points as you can, and going with it. Now, that premise is fine. But this is heavily luck-driven, and the amount of people who have tried to defend this by saying, oh no, it's very strategic, it's rummy with extra steps, okay? You cannot look at a card game called, which is basically rummy, and say it's strategic, you know? You keep using that word. I don't think you understand what it means. You know, this is a game where you are drawing, most of the time, lucky from the deck. So, if you draw the perfect cards, that's luck. Now, if something's on the discard pile you like, great but then people should not be putting cards that you are likely to want on the discard piles. Although, you know, maybe they can't help it. You draw two mermaids at once, you're going to have to put a mermaid down. But the game is fine, but there is just an element of the fact that, well, yeah, I can make dumb choice or right choice with these cards I pick, but otherwise, if I'm hunting for specific stuff and I don't draw it, I'm not going to win. You know, if I've, got a, if I've got one or two, like, octopuses and then I never see another octopus again, well then I'm going to do worse than somebody who's collecting a bunch of seashells and finds all the seashells. The mermaids, as I said, are a bonkers powerful card. I mean, one point for every of the same colour is very powerful indeed, especially if you get multiple of them. And seven points is not a huge amount. I mean, if you can get, you know, just like three of a particular set, you're already at least halfway there, if not further, let alone if you've made any of these pairs as the time goes on. Uh, you know, two points for a penguin, I mean, you know, two points for a penguin and a couple of penguins, you've already made your seven points easily there, and, you know, you could do that in a, you could literally do that in, I think, three cards, what would you need? You need two points for every penguin, and then you would need two penguins. Yeah, you could get seven points in three cards, you know, by just, you know, luck of the draw there, and it's not that I dislike the game entirely. I mean, it is basically a lucky game of rummy with some extra steps, you know, a few extra choices to make. It's cute and it's fine. I'd give it maybe a 6 out of 10. I'd play it. It's above average. I thought it was a little bit more unique and interesting. So, you know, I'd give it some props. But I just found that I was losing some rounds by dumb luck. And people say, oh, luck evens out. If you know anything about luck in real life, you know, forget what probability mathematics taught you in school. If I know anything about my luck, it doesn't even out, okay? So it doesn't work like that. Um, you know, luck is just luck. But, you know, somebody managed to draw four octopuses in a row in their game. How on earth are you supposed to beat that? I had a game where I had like 11, 12 points at one point, and I ended the round saying, you can't beat me. There should have been no way anybody could have caught that up. I was doing really well, got the right cards. It just happened by fluke, but I got him, right? And then one person draws randomly from the deck, picks up the exact card that gives him an extra four-point boost, and he beats me. What am I supposed to do with that? You know, I can't help if you draw lucky. It's gambling. And yeah, okay, the game is meant to be a, a bit of a luck fest, but, you know, stop trying to claim it's a strategic game people when it clearly isn't now you know that wouldn't be so bad except this game says 30 to 45 minutes 45 minutes to an hour maybe i mean it 35 points can take a while to reach and if you've got four players playing this you're going to be there for a while just finishing a round so not to mention it'll be stupidly chaotic with those two discard piles so i would say that 30 minutes is pushing it for any big free four-player game. I mean, it's definitely at least 15 minutes a player, you know, on that front. So you're talking like an hour to play this game. 
I'd want this game to be more of a filler, not an extended light game. If this was a really quick filler, like something like Love Letter or, you know, Hanami and stuff like that, I'd probably appreciate it more. But the fact is, I think it just goes on a bit too long for the amount of luck that's included that for me to really get on board with it. But... I mean, I think it's fine. You know, as I say, 6 out of 10, that means above average. And if you haven't understood what my rating system is by now, go check out my Q&A because I have a big rant about this where I justify to people that my rating scale does not follow what BGG follows and it also does not follow what every other person in the board game industry does, which is anything from 7 to 10 and anything below that is garbage. No, 5 is still an average game which I will play and can still have some fun with, but I have problems. You know, so five does not mean garbage, okay? But, you know, I had to drill that into a lot of people's heads. So six is above average. I'll play it if it's offered on the table. I know what I'm getting into. I know I don't expect much from it. But, you know, it's fine. It's just not one that I would say, oh, yeah, definitely go out and get. Which is a shame because it is Bombix and Bruna Kafala, which is typically a good combination. But, yeah, it was just a little bit too lucky for me. A little bit maybe too swingy. Right, let's grab what's left of my cold coffee. Lally. All right, let's have a look. Uh, next on the agenda. Well, I think we'll just go to the main event at this point. So, what are we going to get at here? By now, people should have seen on the internet a bit of a craze going around lately. And we're going to talk about the merits and demerits of this. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's done it again. Stonemaier recently made an announcement, and, uh, you know, if you know anything about Jamie Stonemaier, he is more a shrewd businessman than a gamer, okay? You know, I'm sure he plays games, but if there's one thing he knows about, it's running the business and social marketing. <laughs> you know, these are his two qualities, okay? And naturally, every time he announces anything, it's like gold dust. It generates hype. It generates controversy. It, you know, good on bad fronts. Claims he doesn't expect it. That is garbage. You know you what you're doing. <laughs> you know, this is what marketing is, okay? And you're good at it. So I compliment you on that fact. But it's still marketing. Um, but he made an announcement recently for a new game. Well, I say new, quote-unquote new game. Uh, Worm Spam. Now... Forgetting the fact that this is a dumb title that doesn't make any sense, this is basically a re-implementation with a little bit more complexity, supposedly, but we'll get on to that, uh, of Wingspan, the very popular game that still sells like hotcakes despite having released, well, 2019, more recently than I thought. But, you know, Wingspan, I love the game. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. It has problems. It needed Oceana to get it up to that 10 out of 10. I think it was a 9 out of 10 before. But... Yeah, you know, it's not a flawless game, and I've even house-ruled the objectives in it, how they work, by borrowing from Ark Nova. So yeah, it's got flaws, but I still find it a very enjoyable game that I love to play. Now, Worm Spam is basically pretty much the same game, but we'll get onto the more detail with that later. But essentially, it's caused a lot of, you guessed it, hype and controversy, where everybody is basically jumping on this either in one camp or another not in between. So you're either in the camp that says, this is the best thing since sliced bread, this is going to be amazing, Jamie's done it again, Stonemaier for the win, think that Avatar fangirl, the one I use in my videos, where she's like, yay, yay, and then frosts at the mouth and collapses, you know, it's, it's a funny clip from Avatar, and speaking of which, you haven't seen that Netflix show, um, not Netflix, uh, that Nickelodeon uh, show, Avatar The Last Airbender, watch it, it's freaking amazing. But the 
you know, that meme I use a lot to represent fangirls. You know, the, the, the ones who basically will just, like, go nuts over everything no matter what. And they are saying that this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. So there's the other camp. And, you know, I sit more in between, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't closer to this camp than the other, which is the cash grab. This is like, you're just releasing the same game, but for another price point, you're just telling us to pay more money. This is marketing tactics, that kind of thing. And certainly I would say I'm more closer to that camp than I am the other camp, but I'm still getting more towards like, think of me as chaotic neutral as opposed to chaotic evil or something. You know, I'm certainly not true neutral on this set setup, but it you know this one obviously is kind of a thing in the industry that i am a little bit concerned about and i'm not the only one on this i'm going to give a little shout out here to um uh you know brandon who runs uh, the game room weekly live stream as part of all aboard gamer channel so he's talked about this in some good length here on this stream uh, i forget where it's about it's about like about an hour and a half roughly maybe about an hour and 20 minutes into the yeah, about an hour, 26 minutes into the stream, he talks about this, and he goes through all the changes that are in this worm span, and kind of sets the record straight about, you know, how these marketing tactics work, and analyzes whether these are actually differences, or whether this is people reading a little bit too much into something that isn't actually a big deal, you know, and, you know, I like his views that he goes, and I think nine, a good chunk of it I do agree with, although there's one or two things I think I mildly disagree with, but, you know, they're not hard disagreements you know uh, i i think you know he kind of hit, hits on the nail there but by all means check out his uh channel and give it a look see give the strings i definitely wanted to have a a little read of some opinions before i went into this podcast for my own sake but you know wormspan is going to be apparently the same game as wingspan but with some extra complexity and dragons now a lot of people are hyping on this because People, for some reason, don't like birds. And seriously, I don't get this upset. I mean, fair enough. If you don't like birds, fine. But there seems to be, like, a hatred of birds. Like, people go, oh, birds are stupid or birds are horrible. And it's like, what is wrong with birds? Animals are cool. Animals are lovely. Birds are lovely. They're, they're, some of them are, like, most beautiful creatures ever. And they're wonderful things. I mean, you've got, like, the, you know, you've got the condor who can basically fly around for, like, hours on end but barely even flapping its wings. You've got the, the little hummingbirds that are cute as anything. And you've got the laughing kookaburras, which are hilarious when you find them in zoos. You know, and birds are cool. I mean, granted, yes, you don't like it when a seagull nicks your chips or a pigeon, like, you know, craps on your car. And seriously, I hate that latter part. But uh, to be fair, I've never had a seagull nick my chips. I've certainly had pigeons crap on my car. That's happened, and that's always annoying. But birds are birds. You know, they do what they do. I mean, your dog craps on your carpet. You know, you, you don't throw the dog out, do you? So it, it's just something that happens. But people are like, yay, dragons! And that's about it. They haven't even looked at the changes. They've just gone auto-buy because it's dragons. I don't know about you, but dragons bore me. I've seen dragons in so much generic fantasy stuff. I mean, you've got the Asian Japanese dragons, the big long taily things. You've got dragons like, um, oh, what's the cute? You've got like How I Train Your Dragon, which I must admit, I do like the dragon character in How I Train Your Dragon because he's hilarious and cute. But, you know, still. And, you know, and we've seen like D&D dragons. We've seen fantasy, generic fantasy dragons. We've seen this theme pasted on everything. So I'm not excited about this being dragons. Birds greater than dragons, in my opinion. But, you know, fair enough, some people are going to love it just, you know, who didn't buy Wingspan will grab this just because it's dragons. Okay, fine. But, 
This is a trend in board gaming that I'm not a fan of seeing, and it's the idea that a lot of games are coming out which, rather than innovate and bring out something new and interesting, they're just taking a game that you've already got 90% of the framework of, adding a few tweaks, and then reselling it that's probably some inflated price compared to the previous one, or they're expecting people to go out and buy it again. This is a tactic I am not in favor of, and I really do have a problem with this. And it's not just on Stonemaier doing this, it's every publisher who does this. Okay, so there's, you know, I mean, this isn't the first time that a game has come out and caused this. You know, who can forget the, you know, the Dune Uprising, literally from like a few months ago, where... You know, this one came out and everybody, all the Dune fans were like, oh yeah, fantastic, I want this. But the publisher's out saying, this is not, you know, meant to be a cash grab or anything like that. There are changes and, you know, it's for those who didn't get into Dune Imperium. Um, I'm sorry, your game that sells, you know, like hotcakes is one of the top rated games on Board Game Geek. Overrated for sure, but, you know, digress, top games on Board Game Geek. You're telling me that you're intending this to be for those who aren't fans of the game. That is a complete lie. <laughs> you know, this is entirely based on getting the fans of the game to love it and pay more money for it. You know, you want the fans of the game who already love this, who already have a cult following of Dune Imperium, to grab this as another type of game. And I have the game, and, you know, I have played some solo games of it, and honestly, the tweaks are not significant enough to make this something that you should buy outright and replace your original Dune Imperium. But then I also don't think it's worth having it to supplement it. Because the original Dune Imperium is better with its expansions, or at least the latter expansion. The one before it with Dreadnoughts, whatever. But certainly the latter one. And, you know, are you really going to buy this on top of your Dune Imperium with the expansions and randomly pick which one you're going to do. No, surely you're going to pick the one that you like the most, which is probably going to be the Imperium with the expansions by now. So I can't see people who are new to Dune Imperium grabbing this one. And if you are somebody who's bought all the other Dune content, then why you've, you've already forked out like 150, 200 quid to buy the previous lot and upgrade it, because all of you have upgraded it with components to make it look less crap. You know, so, you know, it doesn't make sense that you would buy this on top. But after playing this game, honestly, the spies, minor tweak, the, you know, the shield wall, minor thing, uh, the slight changes in the layout, again, they're minor. The main thing that this game actually does that's different, apart from the new mode for free free free, which I've not tried, is the fact that you now have these worms that you can recruit to your cause, and they double the rewards for combat. So essentially what this game does is that the problem I had with the original Doom, which is that it was too focused on combat and everything was all about, you know, do combat because that's the best way to win, is now just emphasized here. Combat is now the way to go. Yeah, you can get the odd VP from some other bits, but seriously, if you ignore combat, you're going to lose. You have no chance. And, you know, the fact that you can double the rewards for a potential combat, you can get some major swingy outcomes from having a worm in combat at the right time, and it just puts too much emphasis on that. So it changes that kind of feel of the game. But other than that, the game might as well just be Dune Imperium 1.5 at most. And I, I honestly think the Dune Imperium with the expansions is better so far. So... You know, we'll see how some multiplayer games go. I don't know if I'll ever get to try the free v mode, but honestly, 
the idea of playing a game that already takes too long with four players, with six players, is not exactly filling me with any confidence here. But, you know, this one is one of the controversies we've had. Now, who can also forget Everdale Farshore? I did a review on this, and I made a big deal in that review that despite the game having its merits, it is a blatant cash grab. This one is, like... And this and Dune, Dune Uprising is not the cheapest game in the world. This was sickening. This one was something like 90 bucks. You know, 90 bucks to buy this thing. Um, you know, uh, and I think you could get it for like about 75 cheapest on the right online retailer. So this was hugely expensive. More expensive than even the base set of Everdell, the original one, right? And I played it, and it's fine. But it literally is the same game. It adds, I think, two little tweaks. It adds a points track where you sail a ship around this edge of the board. Whoopee. And I think it adds... I, to be honest, I even forget what the other tweak was. It's so minor. I think it adds these, yeah, these two little island pieces that can vary. Although I think that's the same as in the previous one. So... I mean, you still get the resources. You still have a few action spaces. It's still buying the cards and putting them down. For the most part, literally, it is just the points track around the edge. That's the main change with this. Other than that, it's the exact same game. Right down to the stupid little tower there at the background where it gets in the person's way eyesight-wise. And this tower is even worse because you can't even fit all the meeples on it. So it serves no purpose. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But this one, you know, has no excuse and this is one that they're going to focus on now. So all of you that bought the Everdell collection recently are now going to think, well, have I just wasted my money doing that? Because now you've got this Farshore, which is technically your improved version, that you're now going to expand as we go on. So do people buy this expensive new version or do they, you know, stick to the old one? And even then, how does it make you feel if you bought all the old stuff recently and then suddenly they announced, oh, we've got this new version, Farshore, and we're going to focus on this now. And it's like, that would kind of tick you off a little bit, right? You know, and for something that is so blatantly cashing in, I'm sorry, it just is. You know, you can make your arguments about Dune Uprising and maybe Wormspan later, but this bears not enough differences at all from Everdell to make it like a completely new experience it just really isn't and that's not to say the game is bad I made this clear in the review the game itself on its own if you were to treat it in a vacuum is still a reasonably fun game but I can't forgive the fact that you already have Everdell you have this game already releasing it at such an extortionate price point is not okay and I don't want to see publishers be rewarded for this you know you can have your you, you can have a recommendation to say it's a fine game on its own merits, but I can't justify that price point at all for this game, despite how nice it looks. And I certainly am not going to tell publishers, yeah, it's fine to completely just rehash your original game 95% of it and tweak one or two things and slap a price tag on it and expect it to, you know, all the fans to go and buy it. I am not going to support you in that front. Now, let's be devil's advocate a little bit here before I go too far, because, you know, you know, people are going to think, well, hang on a minute, what about other games you like? I mean, people mentioned Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride does not count. That released expansions. It didn't release re-implementations of Ticket to Ride, with the exception of a couple like Rails and Sales. And to be fair, Rails and Sales was crap, so that didn't even sell. But, you know, having expanded map packs for a game is not the same thing. I mean, Heat Pedal to the Metal has just released an announcement for an expansion. It's just basically two maps, an extra player, and a couple of tweaks. That's it. But it's an expansion. That's a different story. But here's a better example that, surprisingly, nobody has actually tried to take me up on. But you know what? I'm going to be fair. 
and I'm going to show you myself. Sentinels in the Multiverse, one of my favorite games, okay? So this is the original version. It had a couple of reiterations, but essentially it was this version, okay? I own all of the original Sentinels in the Multiverse and then some, like fan-made content. It's all in a giant box. I played it to death, did the Kickstarter, got Oblivion, all that stuff. I own all of this, right? And then they announced the definitive edition. So people were sort of like, well, hang on a minute. I've got all of the Sentinels in the Multiverse content. Do I now buy the definitive edition? Well, I have the definitive edition and its first expansion, and I will gladly buy more expansions to it, you know, because I do think that as much as I have the old content, and could still play it, because there's characters there, and locations, and things that aren't in this new set, um, you know, yet anyway, I will still predominantly teach people this new set, because it is the better version. Now, you may think, well, hang on, isn't this the same thing? They've essentially done the exact same game, tweaked a couple of things, and re-released it with a new price tag. True, but here's a slight different um, thing here, right? Most of these other re-implementations don't change a lot at all. I mean, they literally add a couple new rules, but other than that, the game, the look, the aesthetics, the graphic design is still the same. Sentinels of the Multiverse fundamentally changed its artwork and its graphic design. Like, it is very different, like, looks-wise to the original version of Sentinels. But the other thing to bear in mind with this is that this one is bringing out actual new content so there are characters and locations and villains that do not feature in the original set and never will. So there is at least some brand new stuff. But here's the main part that I want to get onto here. Sentinels in the Multiverse came out in 2011. Okay, this is before I even started getting into board games real proper like, okay, 2011. That is over 12 years ago now, right? We're talking 13 odd years, 12, 13 years that this game came out. So it is long since in the board gaming world, past its prime for being, you know, all in the limelight for everything, being constantly seen on shelves. I mean, you know, you probably won't be able to get a copy of this version anymore because the original one is out of print. But, you know, this one has had its time, okay? Over a decade right? This Sentinels in the Multiverse Definitive Edition came out on 2022, so two years ago, or a year and a bit ago, right? So it's had over a decade before this one came out. It's not unusual on Kickstarter for second editions of games to come out that have been around for ages. We've had it with Lagrania, we've had it with um, El Grande, uh, what, else, what other ones we had? Uh, trying to think of some examples. Uh, Ra, Ra on my shelf, that had a a second edition reprint. You know, these are old games that got re-implemented into something new. But anytime somebody brings out a second edition of something that came out fairly recently, we do get on their case about this. And time span's important because this one long since passed its prime, it was due for a re-implementation. It's had more than enough time for people to play it, enjoy it, and get their money's worth out of it. I've definitely got my money's worth out of the old Sentinels easily with the even with that expensive kickstarter at the end i played it enough okay so it's not like i feel like i'm being hard done here but this is about the time it does so now let's look at the previous two examples i did right do not rising do not rising came out you know literally a few months ago so this is a 2023 late 2023 release right the original dune imperium and I'm surprised this one doesn't actually say re-implements Dune Imperium, which is kind of like somewhat shocking. But Dune Imperium, let's have a look. When did that come out? 2020. This game literally came out three years, if that, 
before this one and already they're releasing a game that is essentially the same game with some minor tweaks that people are eating up as like the next best thing since sliced bread. Come on. This is a game that hasn't even gone close to like losing its lackluster over time or, you know, losing its lackluster, you know what I mean, losing its appeal or fading out of existence or anything like that. This is going to be highly rated for ages. You already have a bestseller going. So to do this feels cheap and cash grabby, okay? Now, Everdale Farshore, I think, might even be worse. I'm not sure. Let's say, where is it? Um, oh, I've overridden it. Okay, let's let's go back to a Sentinels page and right everdale came out oh no that's slightly better although everdale came out in 2018 right so that's not that long either you know four five years tops you know came out and you're already releasing far shore at twice the value that this one sold for i mean come on but it's more insulting when you think that with all the expansions that's been released you have the complete collection that you made everybody pay a donking amount of money for with this oversized box that is a nightmare to store all i've heard is bad stuff about the way this thing stores and you know you released this in 2022 so two years have passed you told everybody get on our case we're going to release this giant massive box of everything now's your time to get everdale and then as soon as they paid you the money and got refilled you instantly went far shore here we go 90 bucks pay us more money that that doesn't ring true as being anything more than a cheap cash grabby marketing tactic to me all right so the timing just seems a little bit iffy there and you know this is not a practice i want to see so that rant over let's get on to worm spam so Wormspan is naturally generating the same controversy because Wingspan came out, as I think we saw, 2019. So this has had barely a few years, and it's nowhere near going out of the public limelight. This is one of the best-selling games of all time in recent years, okay? It's an evergreen for life. And so now you release this one, which, you know, is likely to get all the Wingspan fans say, oh, yeah, I want to buy this one and give you more money, just like the others will. Now... I will argue that I would say that the, you know, the argument for saying, oh, people new to the franchise will buy this is probably a little bit more true for this one than, say, Dune Imperium and the Everdale ones, uh, because I don't think new people are going to suddenly jump into Dune, Dune with Uprising. But I could see people who didn't really know much about Wingspan or didn't get into it jumping into this one, mainly maybe because they just like dragons, despite the dumb name. But, you know, he made claims that he wasn't expecting quite as big a response that is garbage i'm sorry you released a cover that literally is the same cover as wingspan the same style you copied the name even though the name doesn't make sense in this regard you know and said a wingspan game on it and you didn't expect this to happen you were either blind and deaf and dumb or you're lying. I'm sorry. You knew this was going to happen. And it did. You know, credit to the man. He knows how to market a game, okay? Now, I'm certainly glad that this one is releasing in a month's time. I think we're getting releases in, you know, basically start of February this will release. So, at least it means that thanks to the Patreons, I will be able to get a copy of this, play it, review it, and see how it stands up on its merits and, you know, how it compares to Wingspan. So, you bet I'm going to give this one the beans and find out and give you my honest thoughts on it. But... Oh, yeah, because honestly, you think I'm getting a review copy of this? Yeah, good luck with that. Um, but, you know, this one we shall see. Now, you know, what are the changes? Well, you know, once people calm down with the changes, 
Stonemaier did at least put a big list on his website to say this is what the changes are from Wingspan to Wormspan. And I'm just going to go through these now. And, you know, Brandon's done this as well on his channel. You know, there are some of these that I agree with, some, are, you know, some I'm all right with, some I'm not, but I think most of it I agree with him. And these are supposedly the changes. So is Wormspan the same game as Wingspan, just with dragons instead of birds? So here we go. Like its predecessor, Wormspan is a game about collecting unique winged animals on a player mat and gaining points from eggs, cached resources, tucked cards, and gold tiles. So the same game. Okay, fine. While Wingspan served as the inspiration, I'm pretty sure it was more than an inspiration in this case, Wormspan is more complex game featuring the following differences. I mean, you've literally taken essentially 90% of the framework of Wingspan already here and bolted some stuff on. This isn't an inspiration. This is literally taking most of the design work and having it already done for you. But, you yeah, know, let's carry on. So, you must excavate a cave space before enticing playing a dragon to that space by playing a cave card with a when played benefit, and you begin the game with three excavated spaces. So basically, the step in Wingspan, where you play a card to a row, is now you play a card to a row, and then you play another card to that card. So you've added an extra step in the process. Granted, you said it was going to be more complex. But one thing I love about Wingspan is that it is as simple as it is. It's light. It's not gateway level. But it's light. I can teach it to most people. And it's elegant and smooth. And doesn't feel fiddly. This already feels like it's going to be more fiddly. Having cards on top of cards that you have to play in order to play. Your th it's, that just seems a little bit fiddly. But we'll see. Hatchlings are a type of card found in the dragon deck. They have an egg cost, you're hatching them from an egg, an ongoing power whenever you feed them, and a strong one-time ability when they're fully grown. It sounds a bit like Pokemon, doesn't it? You know, remember the stage Pokemon powers that that game had? Kind of seems familiar to that, but essentially hatchlings are bird cards. They have an egg cost, just like everything the Wingspan did. It's just now they have maybe two abilities rather than one. Uh, four different guilds, one per game, offering different in-game and end-game benefits as you progress. So basically, tracks. I can see what that's going to be. It's essentially just going to be four tracks, and as you level up the tracks, you get some bonus. Is that really a massive change that you're excited about? A few tracks. Um, dragon cards have personality tags, referenced by various powers and end-round goals. Every dragon card is designed from scratch. That's just a design thing, whatever. Um... Actions are performed by spending coins and often eggs, not action cubes, both of which you can save for future rounds. There are even some ways to gain extra coins while you play. In Wingspan, you never gain extra actions. Well, you do. In Wingspan, you can play bird cards that let you play additional birds. That is effectively the same as getting an extra action. Um, but, you know, whether you want to word it slightly differently, I don't know. But, you know, so, okay, you can save stuff from round to round. I can see that being a little fiddly in some respect, but I mean, that's fine. I don't know how much that's going to play in, because is there a reason that you're going to save them for future rounds? You know, you play your actions, but you still save your resources and eggs for future rounds in Wingspan. So how's that any different here? The only difference being that you might do less actions in one round to do more actions in the next round. Again, why would you necessarily do that? Uh... Explore your caves from left to right to activate abilities, not right to left. Oh my god, you've actually... Oh my god, mind blown. Mind blown. Oh my god. Yep, yeah, that's it. That's all the convincing I need. That's it. That's it. You now go left to right, not right to left. Well done. Raising robots literally just did the same thing, okay? 
it's not a big change to go left to right or right to left, okay? It's like in Sushi Go or drafting games when you draft and alternate the turn sequence. It's not a fundamental big deal to change direction in drafting, okay? It's not. A, it's certainly not going to be that fundamental that you're going left to right. I get the thematic reason that it's going to the end of a cave, but bearing in mind this is a list of differences. So this is them trying to justify why this is different enough from Wingspan. And literally, we've already had a couple of points, which is literally the same step repeated once, a bunch of tracks, something that is entirely irrelevant, and, you know, and turning from right to left, from left to right. Who cares? Okay. All right. When for the expert, no expert offer scoring benefits. Well, again, that's exactly the same as Wingspan. All right, just because you've changed the direction does not fundamentally change that aspect of the game. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so there are two nest icons on your cave mat even before you play a dragon. So you can lay eggs on your first turn if you wish. Okay, I mean, that doesn't really sound like it's adding to the complexity. That's just basically a tiny little tweak. And really, was it that big a deal that you had to play a bird first before you laid eggs? I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? All right. Start your game with your choice of four cards from three dragons and three caves and a choice of any three resources. So you've mildly tweaked the starting setup. Whoopee-doo. I mean, like I say, I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is that this game could be really good fun. All right? And I probably will bet it's a fun game. Okay? I'm, I don't think this is going to be bad at all. I think this is going to sell like hotcakes. All the fans are going to go nuts for it. I'm probably likely going to like it as a game but I am definitely going to point out this fact that it is too similar to Wingspan at this rate. And little tiny things like this are not fundamental changes. This is going to ask you to pay, what, 50, 60 bucks for this game because of what board game prices are now? And people are likely to buy this on top of Wingspan? So you want me to have spent, you know, an inflated cost for your game. Bear in mind, they paid, what was it, people pay 90 euros for a priori at... Uh, Essen. I cannot believe why anybody paid 90 euros for it there, but oh, whatever, especially when it came out on retail like a month later, <laughs> could you, a month and a half later, could you not have waited and paid like half the cost? But, you know, that's a side thing. I already made that point in the review. But, you know, these are not fundamentals. Uh, discard down to nine cards, nine coins, and nine resource tokens at the end of your turns, a restriction that gives players the creative freedom to actually carry over actions to the next round. Okay, I mean, I... I mean, I don't know how this action system works fully, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, discarding down to nine cards, nine cards... I mean, I don't often ever find myself in Wingspan with more than nine cards or more than nine resource tokens. So I'll be interested to see how much that even plays a part, but we'll see. Ugh, take the water. Okay. No dice. You're, always, you're either always gaining a specific resource or your choice of the four resources. The food dice are often a nice element of variability in player interaction, but we found it just a little too frustrating if all resources weren't consistently available. I mean, fair enough. The dice never really bothered me in Wingspan. You know, I found that usually th there was a way around it where you could do the two-for-one exchange, or when you play with Oceana, you have Nectar as well, the wild resource, so that can usually get around it. But I do get that it is a random element that some people didn't like. But then it was a light game. You're going to expect a little bit of luck. But I'm fine with that. If you want to remove the dice, I'm not going to have a problem with that. And that might even be an improvement. Uh, no bonus cards. They're built into various dragon cards. So you've basically just removed the objectives. 
fine. But I mean, bonus cards were still fine in Wingspan. You just needed to do that little house rule from Ark Nova. And honestly, every time I've used that house rule in Wingspan, everybody has told me that is fantastic. I'm using this from now on. Nobody has disputed this rule. It's something that I will use in every game of Wingspan. And basically, if you don't know what the Ark Nova rule is, basically it's the idea that in Wingspan, the house rule from the top 10 list I did is that you take two bonus cards at the start of the game, and rather than pick one to get rid of, which is a stupid idea in every game, um, you keep both of them. And then after round two, you may discard... Well, sorry. After round two, you have to discard an objective card. It could be one of the ones you kept at the start of the game. It could be one you've drawn during the game. So it gives you a lot more flexibility over the bonus cards. And it means that you're not just trusting to dumb luck at the start of the game. Because you might keep both the ones you did. But you might play the game, realize, oh, this objective's not very good anymore. I'll chuck that one. Brilliant in Art Nova, works brilliantly in Wingspan. Uh, no pink powers. Um, okay, I like how players can gain things when it's not their turn, but we notice it leads to a lot of questions and confusions. Really? The pink powers were not that difficult. I mean, literally, they usually said, next person who does egg action gives you an egg. How, how hard can it be? But this was also an expansion item. This wasn't in the original Wingspan, so they are saying that this is different from Wingspan on the basis that it's different from something they put in as an expansion item. So the base game doesn't have pink powers. Um, a two-for-one resource exchange can be used at any time, not just when playing a card. I mean, what are the? I mean, I guess maybe some actions are going to require resources to pay for now. But again, fifty bucks, fifty bucks. We've incorporated a slight tweak to your universal two-for-one exchange rule. Uh, Card abilities are optional. If I have a dragon, it gives everyone something that dragon automatically activates. When it would activate, each player, including blah, 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 can choose whether or not to use the dragon's ability, and that choice is independent. That sound. I mean, that... I mean, is that adding more complexity? I don't really know, and I, I never really found that I wanted to do anything optional in the previous game. Uh, the end round goal scoring is friendly. So that's less complex. Because I actually like in Wingspan that you have those goals where, you know, you kind of want to fight a little bit to get that first place, otherwise you're sharing stuff. Making end-round goal-scoring friendlies and, you know, making card abilities optional in that sense is, is lowering complexity. It's not adding to complexity, it's lowering it. Um, and it doesn't... And again, is that a big deal? I mean, you could house-rule that into Wingspan if you really want it to be like that. You know, this isn't something that's 50 bucks worthy changes. And then dragon facts are found in the field guide style book, not on the cards themselves. Um, wow, I mean, big deal. I mean, you say dragon facts. Dragons aren't real. <laughs> dragons are fictional creations. So am I desperate to read about them? I don't know. I mean, like I say, dragons don't interest me as much as birds. <laughs> but, you know, this is essentially the, the changes that they've got. So all of this is what is changed in the game. I still am not seeing where this is, oh, this is a fundamentally different game from Wingspan. This is Wingspan 1. I mean, calling it 1.5 is, you know, not saying much. This feels like 1.25. You know, this is so similar. You know, some of these changes are not relevant changes. They don't make enough of a difference to make me want to spend 50 to 60 bucks on a brand new game. And if you have Wingspan and you buy this, then you're basically going to have to sort of go, well, which one of the two do I do? And you're either losing money because games don't tend to have a very good resale value, and or you're putting two games on your shelf and having to fight over which one you're going to play at any point. So 
you know, now if you are new to Wingspan and you basically go into this with the idea that I didn't like birds or I had problems with Wingspan, I'm going to like this one better, fair enough, but understand that a lot of the stuff that you probably had problems with in the original game aren't exactly changing here, you know, other than the fact that it's about dragons. And if your sole reason for not liking Wingspan was just the fact that it was birds, then well, when you're on your own with that one, I mean, birds are cool. And it was such a pro... I mean, birds are a nice, approachable, genuine, realistic theme, okay? Dragons are fully fictional. The artwork in this, I actually think, is worse than in Wingspan. Uh, the graphic design, I don't think, is as good as in Wingspan. And, you know, dragons are a generic fantasy theme that we've seen stapled on the game. So I'm not as interested in that. But... You know, I have my, you know, this game could be really good. I don't know. It could be amazing. But I have reservations because of the way it's been marketed. And, you know, I'm looking at this. And as I look at these mechanics, I mean, these guilds are literally just a, a track. It's just move along the track and get bonuses. That's not exactly going to be the most exciting thing in the world. The excavating caves in order to put more cards down just sounds like it's adding extra steps. Remember the that sounds like slavery with extra steps meme from Rick and Morty? It sounds like that. I mean, it just sounds like the same game, but with extra steps. I mean, if you're going to make it more complex, add something brand new to the system. Don't just take the system, copy and paste it, and make you do both. I mean, that's literally what the excavation mechanic is. It's literally taking the original way of putting a card on a row hitting control c and then control v and pasting it on top of the extra layer that's all this is um okay let's uh, have a look at the rest of this so more dragons explore complete with other players for end of round goals yeah we've seen that before the autumnar yeah that's the same as before so i'm trying to find like some close-up of these cards so yeah I, the artwork's not bad but i certainly don't think it's as good as the previous one but but also, some of this iconography looks a little bit sort of weird compared to Wingspan. Like, I don't think this is going to be as easily accessible as the other one is. There's definitely going to be some fight for that. But as I'm looking at this board, I mean, you've got cards on top of cards, which is probably going to include tucked cards as well. I mean, if you've got to put tucked cards in between the cave and your thing, that's going to get annoying very fast. But, you know, the iconography on here, the, the there's a lot happening on these cards. I mean, yes, they've taken the flavor text off, but... The Wingspan cards were not difficult to read. They were pretty easy to follow. So I don't see why, you know, that would have been considered a problem. But I think they had to do it on these because, let's face it, there's already quite a lot of information being put on these cards here. If you wanted to add more cards, it would just get a little bit insane. But look at this. I mean, this basic little hatchling thing here or something. I mean, you've got its personality trait, which maybe re relates to certain cards, I don't know, but you've got an ability here, you've got another ability there, you've got another ability here, so all these things, I mean, they've got like three or four abilities on them, this is going to cause AP in a fair few people, so this is the guild, okay, so uh, you move around the track and get a bonus, okay, yay, I mean, that's not exactly anything major, uh, these are the gold tiles, so that's the same as before, I did that, so, I mean, what I'm getting at here is I'm not saying that this is going to be a bad game, okay? This game could, probably will, be good fun. I expect to probably like this game, but I'm expecting to like it because 90% of it is Wingsman. <laughs> They've already got a game framework that is tried, tested, works, and does the job. 
So of course people are going to like this game. Nobody is going to say that this game is garbage and Wingspan is amazing. It, that's physically impossible. They're too similar. Now, whether it's because you like dragons and don't like birds, that's fine. That's its subjective view. It's whether you like one theme over the other. But I think that's literally the only feasible argument you have to justify these two games being exist in existence. And the fact that 2019, I mean, Wingspan has not been out that long. And, you know, if we actually think of time passing and as opposed to the board game industry and... You know, it's still a bestseller. You can buy it in the shops. So asking people to suddenly decide whether they want to have both of these or spend money on this, it does feel a little bit, you know, marketing capitalist style thing. And, you know, Brendan, I think, words it better than I do. But, you know, what's been happening with the memes and all the, you know, I mean, some of those have been quite funny. You know, cash in, cash in spam and, you know, you know and wing spam and stuff like that i've seen some funny ones but you know it's getting a bit out of hand but they have been quite funny but but yeah you can see where people are coming from you know i do think that there is more arguments to substantiate that this feels very marketing focused rather than oh we've made this brand new game and it's fundamentally different and you know you know it's not like wingspan at all you know no I don't buy that at all, especially not from somebody who in the past, you know, Viticulture World and you know, Expeditions and stuff has already done pretty well on this whole marketing controversy stuff, okay? So, you know, I don't buy that. But, yeah, the people who are sort of yumming this up saying, you know, instantly, without even looking at the facts behind it, without even looking at some of this detail, just saying this is going to be f fantastic, amazing, I love Stonemaier, heart, 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 you know, on social media, no. Um, you, you know, read up on it, you know, get some facts and really think about what these differences are. Are they really differences that are going to make you think this justifies another 60 bucks for the game? I mean, if they sell it at 30, I mean, that's never going to happen, but maybe fair enough. But, you know, Doom Uprising was the same. Everdale Farshaw was the same, you know, and I'm pretty sure there's been more examples that I just can't think of right now. But, uh, you know, I do... <sighs> This one, like I say, it's just my opinion. It could be brilliant, fine. And if it's brilliant, I will tell you it's brilliant. If it completely kills Wingsman, I will tell you it completely kills Wingsman. All right, you know, I'm going to give you my honest thoughts when I play it, but I am not going to suddenly jump off the mountains screaming at the top of my voice saying this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread when I'm looking at these, like, bullet points here and they just seem like such minor tweaks or more fiddliness to add fiddliness, you know, and that's what worries me more. They say like, oh, this is going to be a slightly more complex version of Wingspan, but then these extra changes just feel more like fiddly bits to maneuver. You know, Wingspan is smooth and elegant. Having to do another layer of cards and having to mess around with cube tracks just sounds more fiddly, and fiddliness is not what I want in a game, but we'll see. We'll see, maybe it's a lot smoother and elegant when we actually play it, you know. Until I actually sit down and play the game, there's only so much I can say on it. But those are my thoughts. I don't like, and, you know, it, forgetting Wormspan and Dune and Everdale in particular, this is just something I am a bit worried about in the board game industry, that this is going to suddenly start becoming a trend. Because we've had some of these in the past, but, you know, in the last, what, year and a bit you know a year tops we've already had everdale farshaw do not rising now Wormspan, and i'm pretty sure there'll be one or two others that will be in the pipeline already that i just can't think of so 
publishers are realizing that by doing this, people are buying the game, they're generating a ton of attention, whether it's hype or controversy, which is essentially what marketing wants. Market, there is no, there is no such thing as bad buzz for what you are selling as a product. If, you know, the controversy with Viticulture World, whatever, it generated more sales. And I didn't even, you know, I never considered it a massive controversy, but hey, it blew up and suddenly everybody bought the game. Um, you know, this one is going to get loads of people buying Wormspan. People are still gonna buy Uprising. People are still gonna buy Farshore. You know, it's still money that is being made. And if publishers start realizing that this is something that is, something that is appreciated nay warranted by players then other publishers are going to jump in on this and they're going to do this they're going to start bringing out games that have barely been in the limelight for a while and saying we've tweaked a couple of things but we've re-released it great and it could be one of my favorite games i mean if arc nova literally came out and said you know, in a, in a year or two's time, if Ark Nova came out and said, we've done this uh, new version of the heavy Ark Nova, and it's pretty much the same game, but we've tweaked one or two aspects, I would still call them out on that being a cash grab, okay? You know, because we haven't had Ark Nova for that long, and it's already an amazing game. But it's not just, I mean, I, mean, I like Devadel Far Short, fine. Do Not Rising... I think the previous Dune Imperium with expansions is better than Uprising, but again, it's not a terrible game. Um, you know, it's just not amazing. And this Wormspan probably will be really good. But, you know, it's probably going to pale to Wingspan, I think, you know, with the extra complexity. But who knows? You know, none of these are bad games. It's the marketing part I'm not a fan of, and I just don't want to see it be a thing. You know, so publishers, come on. Innovation. There have been some great examples of innovation in some recent games, and they're ones that I definitely call out and, you know, gravitate towards more. You know, I like to see these cool ideas be used in new games. You know, we've had stuff in the past, like the crew for, you know, the trick-taking cooperative game, you know, and stuff like that, where, you know, really cool new ideas have been tried. And I don't want to see that stop. I know we're releasing far too many games a year, you know, I still think the board game industry needs to slow down a bit and release fewer games over a year so that people can appreciate them more or that development time can go into them more because it's like uh, it's like the EA games with the Battlefield franchise and DICE. Now, Battlefield basically died a painful death with the recent releases because they were so bad, but that's because they get forced to release something every year. They go, right, we need another Battlefield this year. Now we need one this year. We need one this year. And they just do it like live service gaming. And, well, Tapestry is the biggest example of a live service board game, but the idea with it being that they have to rush these games out so often that they don't give enough time to develop them and i'm worried that this will happen in board games as well that because everybody is releasing so many games that old ideas are just being rehashed i mean we had terra mystica age of innovation recently and i've done a review on that it's terra mystica 1.5 they tweak a couple of things but essentially it's terra mystica you know it's that's the other example you know another one again in the last year now actually you know, while we're on that subject, let's go to, uh, let's actually go to the Board Game Geek again. When did Terra Mystica come out? Terra Mystica came out 2012, so that's actually not that bad. Although Gaia Project is essentially Terra Mystica, <laughs> with a couple of tweaks. And that one came out in 2017, but there is some differences there. So, I'm probably a bit more forgiving of that one. It still feels like they didn't change enough in it, but... 
you know, that one at least, like Sentinels in the Multiverse, came out a long time ago, so to have a new edition now after a decade is probably fine. I'm actually okay with that one. But yeah, hooey, rant over, long episode, and some of you are going to agree with me, some of you are going to wholeheartedly disagree, which is fair enough. This is a very controversial, sort of very divisive topic, you know, about you know, the whole idea of rehashing old games with little tweaks, whether these games that I've mentioned are fundamentally different from their other ones or they're just the same game. People can are going to argue about this until the end of time. I don't think there's ever going to be like a device, uh, you know, a proper, this is how it is, fact. This is going to be something that's debated. Brandon's given you his views on his channel. Go check it out. I've given my views here. Bunch of you have got your own views, which is fine. You know, we can all be civil about this and just take it as it comes. But, you know, I got to say my piece and I'm sure some of you will, but it'll be interesting to discuss like civil human beings. You know, we'll see how this goes. But that's it for me. I'm going to sign off now, get some food because my intermittent fasting ended 30 minutes ago and I'm very hungry for some breakfast. Or in this case, I guess it's brunch now. So uh, that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple episode. Uh, don't forget to check out the rest of the content. Like I said, the Art Nova Marine Worlds. In fact, actually, why don't you check out the reviews I've done for some of these other games? I haven't done Do Not Rising, but I've definitely reviewed various Wingspan products in the past, you know, and I've definitely reviewed Age of Innovation for Terra Mystica, and I've reviewed Everdale Farshore. So by all means, check out those reviews for a little bit more context as to where I'm coming from here. But until next time, Remember, as always, regardless if there's enough changes in the board game to suit your needs, it's still only a game, so we can agree to disagree and move on. Take care, and bye for now.